Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. Well, as you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the favor of God. And I'm going to say this again this week, and this will not be the last time that you hear me say this, but if God's ever spoken clearly to me, he spoke clearly to me that 2020 is to be a year of favor, that God wants to release his favor. Now, that doesn't mean that we are just now as followers of Christ experiencing the favor of God, because the moment you became a believer, the moment you became a follower of Christ, uh, the favor of God has been with you and the favor of God has come upon you. As a matter of fact, it's the favor of God that gave us Jesus to begin with. Amen. And, and so we've been talking about the favor of God. And over the last few weeks, we've been preaching and teaching from the book of Ruth. Now, I don't know how much you've enjoyed it, but I've sure enjoyed preaching this series from the book of Ruth. What a beautiful story it is. And uh, we're going to complete that book today in chapter four. But before we do that, let me remind you that we've been defining favor as that, that is the favor of God as what God can do for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We see that's what God is doing with Ruth and Naomi in this book is God is doing for Ruth and Naomi what Ruth and Naomi could have never done for themselves. And then we've talked about how do we experience the favor of God and the key to experiencing the favor of God is obedience. Now that doesn't mean that we can earn God's favor. It doesn't mean that we even deserve God's favor, but we can position ourselves through obedience to receive the favor of God. Now listen to me this morning. Here we are the first Sunday of February in 2020. And I believe that God wants this to be a year of turnaround in your life. Now, now by that, when, when we go to the book of Ruth, we find that the book of Ruth is all about turnaround. You, you begin this book talking about famine and, and funerals, but you end talking about the favor of God. Ruth begins as a widow, but the book ends with her being a wife. The book begins with languishing, but it ends with laughing. The book begins with sadness, but it ends in song. You see, and I believe that's what God wants to do in every individual's life here under the sound of my voice today. How many of you could stand a turnaround in your life today? Amen. Maybe, maybe a turnaround spiritually. Maybe it's been a dry, famine, barren season in your life and you're ready for a turnaround. You're ready for the favor of God. Maybe it's financially. Maybe, maybe you've been in a famine financially and you're ready for a turnaround. You're ready for the windows of heaven to be open so that God can pour out a blessing on your life. I was reminded this past week of Psalm chapter 30 verse 5 that says, Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. And I believe that right there is the message of the book of Ruth. And I believe it's also the message of the Bible. 
because the Bible ends with joy. The Bible ends with rejoicing. Yes, there's going to be some difficult times along the way. There may be some weeping and some mourning, but weeping may endure for a night. But listen to me, in 2020, joy comes in the morning. How many of you are ready to receive some joy from the Lord? Amen. I tell you, I love, I love, I love, I love this book. We started out in chapter one and we saw where a man by the name of Elimelech takes his wife and his two boys trying to escape a famine, trying to save his family's life. And he leaves Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he goes to Moab uh, where pagans live, the enemies of God, where they worshiped false gods. And it's, it's ironic that the very thing he went to Moab to avoid ended up happening to him. He and his two sons ended up dying there in Moab, which left three women as widows, Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in review today, but I do just need to set it up a little bit where we're going today. And, and, and of course, Ruth and Naomi, they end up coming back to Bethlehem because Naomi heard that the Lord had once again visited his people. I love that phrase right there, that the Lord once again visited his people. And I know I'm asking you a lot of questions today, but how many of you are ready for God to once again visit you? <laughs> to visit your life, to visit your situation and your circumstances. And she heard that God had once again visited Bethlehem. And so as she and her two daughter-in-laws are headed back, she tries to encourage the two daughter-in-laws to go back. One of them does, but Ruth clings to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people and your God is gonna be my God. I'm not worshiping the gods of Moab anymore. I'm now worshiping the God of Israel. And they get back to Bethlehem, but when the women see Naomi coming back to town, they recognize this is not the same woman we knew when she left here. Because when Naomi left, her name means sweet and pleasant. When she left, she was just that, sweet and pleasant, but life's been rough to her. And now when she comes back, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Don't call me sweet and pleasant, call me bitter. But then we end that chapter with some hope because the last verse of chapter one says that it was the beginning of barley harvest. The famine was coming to an end in more ways than one. And a fresh new opportunity was presented to Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth knew that the barley harvest didn't last long. And so she didn't waste any time. In chapter two, verse one, the Bible says that she gets up and she tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, I'm gonna go out here and see if I can't find a, a field to glean in. And, and maybe God will give me favor of someone who owns the field and allow me to glean in that field. Because as we discovered, the poor and the alien and the widows were able to go into fields and pick up the leftovers. And not only that, but uh, the, the, the landowners were commanded by God not to pick any of the harvest that was in the corners of the field, but to leave that for the poor and the alien and the widow. And so Ruth ends up in a field, and I love the way that the Bible says this. It just so happened <laughs> that she ended up in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. Now, don't you see the providential hand of God in that? How many of you this morning can look back over your life 
And, and when you were going through a difficult time in your life and you didn't understand why God was allowing what he was allowing and why things were going the way that they were going, but how many of you can look back on your life now and see the providential hand of God bringing you from where you were to where you are right now? And it says that as it just so happened, she ended up in the field of Boaz. Well, who's Boaz? Well, the Bible says his name means in him is strength. It says that he was a man of standing. He was powerful. He was rich. He was wealthy. He had influence. And he just happened to be the most eligible bachelor in all of Bethlehem. And so she ends up in his field. And when she gets to his field, the Bible says it just so happened that at that moment, Boaz showed up. Isn't it great how God can just orchestrate the events of our lives in order that his plan and his purpose is fulfilled? And Boaz sees Ruth out there gleaning in the field and says, who is this new girl out there in the field? They tell Boaz who she is. And he brings her in and says, listen, honey, don't go and glean in someone else's field. And we talked that day about the field of favor. Stay in the field of favor. And he told her, he said, stay in my field. Don't go and glean in somebody else's field. And as long as you're in my field, he said, you'll be protected and you'll be provided for. And she responds with this in Ruth chapter two, verse 10. She said, why have I found such favor in your eyes? Everybody say favor. Have you ever wondered that yourself? Sometimes I look back on how God has worked in my life and, and I just have to say, why God? Why have I found such favor with you? Because it is undeserved, it is unmerited, it is unearned. And she said, why have I found such favor? And he tells her that the reason she had found favor was not necessarily because of her looks, because let's face it, she probably didn't look the best out there in that field, but it was because of her character he was moved because she was a woman of noble character. And then he sends her back home with a blessing. She, he, he sends her back home with an ephah of grain, which was about 30 pounds that would have fed her and Naomi. Somebody say the famine is over. <laughs> sends her home with 30 pounds of barley that will feed them for at least two weeks. And when she gets home, her mother-in-law asked her and says, whose field did you glean in today? And she told her, Naomi. And he said, she said this, she said, well, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her and said, that man is our close relative. Now we've talked about how that Naomi and Ruth, and we're going to see it more clearly today, why they needed a kinsman redeemer. And she said, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, I talked to you last week about what the responsibilities or the obligations of a kinsman redeemer was. One thing that I left out was this, and that is that a kinsman redeemer was to be an avenger of blood. That if you killed a member of their family, that kinsman redeemer was the one that would hunt that person down and kill them. They were an avenger of blood. So remember that if you mess with somebody's family member, that kinsman, that near kinsman might be coming after you. That's why in the Old Testament, they had cities of refuge so that those who were being chased down and hunted and maybe they were innocent could go and run to a city that was a city of refuge where they could get a fair trial. 
Because if you had murdered a member of somebody's family, that near kinsman, man, he wasn't going to worry about a trial. He was going to take care of business himself. He was going to take justice into his own hands. But not only were they to be an avenger of blood, the Bible tells us in Leviticus 25 and 25 that if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they've sold. So if you lost a piece of property, the nearest relative that had to be a male could redeem your property for you. Or if you needed to sell your property for some reason, then the next nearest kinsman could buy that property from you would have the right of first refusal. But not only that, in Deuteronomy 5 and 5, it says if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. That's the law of a Leverite marriage. And so we find there the obligations of a kinsman redeemer. But we also need to know about the responsibility or the requirements of a kinsman redeemer. They had to be the nearest male relative. They must be able to perform the obligations and they must be willing to perform the obligations. Well, we're gonna find out that Boaz could check two of those off of his list, but he could not check off the first one because he was not the nearest male relative as we're going to see. In Ruth chapter three, verse nine, we, we, we go back to the end of chapter two and, and at the end of chapter two, uh, we, we see that once again, Ruth has come back home from the field and, 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 and she's been blessed by, by Moab. And, and then at the end of, of chapter two, as we, as we go into chapter three, uh, the, the Bible tells us that Boaz hasn't called Ruth again. They, they, they had a first date and, 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 and had, a, had a good conversation together, but, but now about six months has passed because the barley and the wheat harvest has passed and, and, and no call from Boaz, hadn't heard from Boaz. How many of you know what it's like to go out on a date like that? You go out one time and you think, man, it went great, but then he never calls and you never hear from him again. And so they're left waiting. And so now Naomi takes matters into her own hands. And she says, I gotta find this girl a safe house. I've gotta find this girl a husband. And so here's what she says to Naomi. We saw this last week when we talked about decent proposal. She said, listen, Boaz is gonna be down at the threshing floor tonight winnowing his barley. So she said, here's what I want you to do. She said, I want you to take a bath. How many of you know that's good advice if you're looking for a man? or if you're looking for a woman. Said, take a bath, put on some perfume, and get on your best clothes. Good advice. And then she said, I want you to watch Boaz. And she said, after he has finished his meal and had something to drink and laid down, then she said, I want you to go and lay down at his feet, but I want you to uncover his feet, knowing that in the middle of the night, his feet would get cold and he would wake up to cover his feet and see Ruth there at his feet. And so Naomi, the Bible says, does exactly what her mother-in-law tells her to do. And sure enough, in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up and says, who are you? Now you'd probably think that too if you woke up and there's a woman at your feet. Said, who are you? And she said, I'm your servant Ruth, she said. And here's what she says. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. 
Now, let me tell you what she's doing here. She's proposing to Boaz. Or she's proposing that Boaz propose to her. And, and, and notice she said, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And, and notice what he says back to her in verse 12. He said, it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, but, but there is another one who is more closely related than I. Oh man, just when you're hearing wedding bells, just when you think that she's found the right man, she discovers, oh, you mean there's another kinsman redeemer that's a closer relative to me than this. And then he tells her, he says, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. So lie here until in the morning. And then in the morning when she gets up to go home, he says, that shawl you got wrapped around you, hand it to me. He said, hold it out. And he filled the shawl with grain. He said, because I don't want you to go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Oh, she came back empty, but she's not empty any longer. And we talked last week about how Naomi took the lid off of her life. Maybe it was bitterness, maybe it was anger, maybe it was resentment, but she took the lid off of her life so that God could pour in his blessings and God could pour in his favor. And when she comes back with all of that grain, she asked her, she said, where you been? She told him everything that went on, everything that Boaz had said and everything Boaz had done. And it says, then Naomi said, wait. How many of you know that's the hardest thing in the world to do? He said, wait. Or she said, wait, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Which brings us to the final chapter, chapter four. And today, the title of my message is, Will the Real Redeemer Please Stand Up? Will the Real Redeemer Please Stand Up? Notice what Naomi said. She said, Boaz is not going to rest until he does exactly what he says because Boaz is a man of character and integrity. Boaz is a man who does what he says he's going to do. And then when you go to chapter four, verse one, it says that Boaz went to the town. He doesn't waste any time. He goes to the town gate, that place where business transaction and judicial matters are settled. He goes to the town gate and he took a seat there. Now look again at the providential hand of God just then. Isn't that amazing? Just then, the family redeemer that Boaz had mentioned to Ruth came by. Don't tell me that God is not orchestrating the events of this story. And listen to me, he is also orchestrating the events of your life. And here's what I think this morning. Some of you may be wondering, will I ever get to where God has promised me I'm gonna go? Listen to me, if God promised to take you somewhere, you're gonna get there one way or the other. 
because the providential hand of God is leading and guiding and orchestrating the events of your life. And he said just then, the family redeemer that he had mentioned, did you know that the, the word redeem and redemption, that is the theme of chapter four, that the word redeem or purchase or buy is mentioned 15, at least 15 times in this one chapter alone. And it says just then, the family redeemer that he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. Now, you got to know that Boaz has a carefully thought out strategy as to how he's going to handle all of this. He said, I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then verse two says, then Boaz called 10 leaders because when it comes to a business transaction in this culture, you had to have 10 men in order to have a quorum. Now, it wasn't that way with judicial matters. All you had to have was two or three. And that's really the context of the passage that we hear quoted so much that where two or three are gathered in my name, the Lord said, there am I in the midst when those judicial matters are trying to be settled. And, and here's what I know. Sometimes when I'm going to God, I'm going to God with some spiritual judicial issues. And when I get two or three people together to pray, I need God to show up in those situations. But 10 for a quorum when it came to a business transaction. And it says that Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. How many of you know it's wise to have witnesses to a business transaction? And then we go to verse three. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, he said, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? She's having to sell the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now evidently she, can't, she just can't make ends meet. And she needs to sell the property so that she can have some money to live on. But she don't want the property to just go to anybody. She wants the property to go to somebody that will also be a blessing to Ruth. Now we're going to see how this plays out. It's awesome. Then he said she's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. Notice what a man of integrity Boaz is. He wants to make sure that everything is done the right way. And even though it's gotta be killing him because you know that he loves Ruth, and he's really praying and hoping that this thing's gonna work out in his favor, but he doesn't really know how it's gonna work out. So he said, if you want it, buy it in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. And look at what the guy says. The guy replied and said, all right, I'll redeem it. Bummer. Right? Bummer. You know, Boaz at this moment's got to be a little bit disappointed. Well, probably not because he does have a strategy. Notice the only thing that he's talked about to this point is the land that's for sale. He's not mentioned the woman that's also involved in this transaction. And notice what he says next. Then Boaz told him, now, of course, um, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. In other words, you're not just buying property, you're gonna get a wife 
with the property. How do you think the guy responded? Then I can't do it. (laughs) Then I can't redeem it. I can afford the land, but I can't afford a wife. No, that's really not what he's saying. Because the land would have made him money. But here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, well, if I buy her property and we have a child, or if I buy her property, if I marry Ruth and we have a child, that first son, remember what the law said, that first son that we have together belongs to the family of Elimelech. So if, if I die, what, what it does is it jeopardizes my inheritance or the inheritance of my family because if I die and, and, and this boy is the only heir that I have when I die, not only does he get the land of Elimelech, but he also gets half of my estate because of him being my last surviving heir. So, so he's got a legitimate reason here. He says, well, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Well, that was the plan of God to begin with. But how many of you know you still got to act with integrity? You still got to do things God's way. And if you do things God's way and according to God's word, things will always work out the way God wants it to work out. And then notice what happened in verse seven. I love this. It said, now in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. You see, God had given a divine command that wherever you put your foot, that you are to put your foot on property. You're to put your foot on territory and claim that property. And so what this man is doing is this man is giving up his right to do that. And notice it says that he took off his foot and he handed it to the other party, which validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal and said to Boaz, you buy the land. Now, let let me show you why this is important. Let's go back to that scripture in Deuteronomy 5 that says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, His widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. But let's read the rest of it. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Well, what happens? Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. And if he persists in saying, I don't want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals and spit in his face. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. How many of you know it might be good to bring some of these laws back? This dude had to walk around for a set period of time with one sandal on his foot. 
And every time somebody saw him, they knew why he only had one sandal. It was because he refused to fulfill the obligations of a kinsman redeemer and he refused to fulfill the requirements of a family kinsman. And so he's walking around with that one shoe on. But man, don't you know Boaz? He's happy about how this has turned out. Because then we go on in this story to Ruth chapter four, verse nine, and it says that Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I've bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. Evidently what had happened is that when Elimelech died, then the next oldest son was supposed to get the property. Well, let's just say the next oldest son was Kilian. Well, Kilian died as well, so that means it should have gone to Malan. Who is Malan? He is the husband of Ruth. That's why Ruth is included in this transaction because the land officially belonged to her husband. And so now it becomes the kinsman's job to not just redeem the land, but to marry Malan's wife. And then Boaz said to the elders and the crowds around, you are witnesses today. I bought the property that Naomi was selling that belonged to Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. And with the land, I have, required, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite, widow of Malan to be my wife. Now stay with me here a minute. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You're all witnesses of this today. Do you see what kind of a man this guy is? That he marries her so that she can be blessed, she and Naomi can be blessed. He's, he's not worried about his inheritance. He's not worried about how all of this is going to affect him. He's just concerned about Naomi and Ruth. And then all the elders and the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. How many of you remember who Rachel and Leah were? They were the wives of Jacob who gave to him the major tribes of the nation of Israel. And so they're saying, may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. May she bear you many sons so that you have a big family from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper, oh hallelujah, in Ephrathah, which is just another name for Bethlehem, which means fruitful, and be famous in Bethlehem. This is the elders of the community blessing this marriage, blessing this union, and how many of you know that's the way it should be, that when a husband and a wife come together, that the elders in the house of God and the elders in the community ought to be able to put their blessing on that so they're blessing praying for fruitfulness praying for prosperity praying for his name to be famous and we're going to see that that prayer is answered before we get out of this chapter and then he says and may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez the son of Tamar and Judah oh boy now is there ever a story right there you so say, what do you mean, pastor? Tamar and Judah. Judah had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. He gave his first son to Tamar in marriage. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible said he did wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord had him put to death. Whew. That's heavy. 
And so according to the Leverite marriage, the next son is now supposed to assume the responsibility of Tamar. His name was Onan. He refused to fulfill his duty. So guess what? God had him killed. Yeah. Well, Jacob had a third son by the name of Shelah. But Shelah was really young. And here's what Judah said to Tamar. He said, when he grows up, if you'll just wait, when he grows up, I'll give him to you as well so that he can fulfill the Leverite law. Well, the youngest one grew up, but still Tamar didn't get him, out of, get, get him as, as her husband. So what does she do? Now listen to this. She dresses up like a prostitute and she stands on side of the road. And when Judah comes walking by, she propositions him he has sexual relationship with her. She gets pregnant with twins, which at this time Judah was unaware of who it was because she had disguised herself, didn't know that she had gotten pregnant, but got pregnant with twins, two boys. And one of those boys' names was Perez. Now when she was given birth, the first baby reached its hand out of her womb and they tied a red cord about, folks, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. He reached his hand out of the room. They put a red cord on his hand to identify him as the firstborn. But evidently Perez in the womb said, oh no, you don't. You're not gonna get the firstborn blessing away from me. I'm breaking out of this joint. And it's almost like Perez reaches and grabs his brother and pulls him back in the womb and then he is born first. That's who Perez is. His name means breaking out. How many of you are ready to break out this morning? Nobody gonna get my blessing away from me. Amen. And he breaks out and his name is Perez. And when you go and look at the descendants of Perez, guess who one of his descendants are? Boaz. Boaz is one of his descendants. And so they said, may the Lord give you descendants by Ruth who will be like those of our ancestor Perez. Hey, that if he can do it through Judah and Tamar, if God can bring somebody to us like you, Boaz, then we know that God can bring somebody like you to future generations. Even though this woman may have been a Moabite to begin with, we know that God can use even the unusable. God can use those that feel undeserving, that, 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 that feel like there's just absolutely no way God could use them because of the circumstances and the environment that they grew up in. Listen, if God can bring Boaz from Tamar, and if God can or, or, or Perez from Tamar. And if God can bring Boaz and, or, or, or Obed from Boaz and Ruth, then what do you think God, what, what do you think God could do in your life? It doesn't matter where you've come from. I said it last week. It doesn't matter the atmosphere and the environment that you grew up with. God still has a plan and God still has a purpose for your life. Amen. I'm almost done here. Verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. He didn't waste any time. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. Who enabled her? 
The Lord enabled her because up until this time she had been barren. Somebody in this room here needs to know your barrenness is about to come to an end. I sense the Holy Ghost breathing life into somebody. I'm talking about a physical wound this morning, not, not a spiritual wound. I felt this so strongly when I was preparing this week and when I was in prayer this morning that the Lord told me to declare over this congregation that there is a womb in this room that has been barren, physically barren, that you've not been able to give birth to children, but the Holy Ghost is breathing life into your womb right now, and you will give birth, and it will be the Lord who enabled you to do that. Somebody give God a good praise right there. Oh, I sense that in my soul and in my spirit right now. And then verse 14, then the women said to Naomi, blessed. The last time we see them saying anything to her, you don't look like you used to. Bitter. But they said, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. I like that, who has not left you. Don't you know there were some times Naomi thought God had abandoned her? that God had left her. And how many of you have ever been in that moment in your life when you felt like God had left, that God had abandoned you? But you need to know today, he has not left you this day without a redeemer. Woo. Now, now listen, she's not talking there about Boaz. She's talking about Obed, the baby that Boaz and Ruth would give to her. He had not, not, not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name, may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. I know another redeemer who said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly and his name is Jesus. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher. He's gonna take care of you in your old age, Naomi. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. Everybody say seven. One daughter-in-law, one grandson who would be more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. If you had seven sons, that means you had the complete family. The number seven means perfection. The number seven means completion. How many of you know that sometimes it looks like what God started just ain't ever gonna get finished? But the Bible says that he who began a good work in you shall continue that work until it is completed at the day of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. <laughs> Actually a grandson, but she adopted him like he was her own. That's what we grandparents do, you know. We treat them like they're our very own. And they named him Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse. And he became the grandfather of David. <laughs> Only God. And then this book ends with a genealogical record. Why? of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. 
Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nation. Nation was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, which last week we discovered that, 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 that Rahab the harlot was the mother of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Bo Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And, and listen, you know why they gave us that? Because they had prayed that his name would be renowned in Israel and his name was renowned in Israel but if you continue that genealogical record in the team you can go ahead and come if you continue that genealogical record from David you know where you eventually wind up Jesus <laughs> Jesus Jesus Bible said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what that means? God came here to be our relative. He became a man, a human being, flesh and blood, just like you and me, so that he could be our kinsman Redeemer. Jesus shows up to begin his ministry at the Jordan River. John the Baptist, as he's baptizing people, he looks up and he sees Jesus. And here's what he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus then left that baptism and went directly into the wilderness fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights and being tempted of the enemy. But then the Bible says when he came out of the wilderness, he came out full of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you remember the title of my message now, will the real Redeemer please stand up? Because Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and look at what he did. He, everybody say this, stood up to read. Will the real redeemer please stand up? Boaz was a redeemer, little r. Jesus is the redeemer, big r. <laughs> Will the real redeemer and the real Redeemer stands up and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. See, this is what the real Redeemer can do. And then it says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I didn't proclaim it the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has proclaimed it the year of the Lord's favor. I want you to stand up with me all over this sanctuary right now. Listen to me. 
It says they rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What about that kinsman redeemer? He first of all had to be our next nearest kinsman. And there is no one closer to us than Jesus when it comes to our spiritual redemption. He had to be able, he had to be able to pay the price of our redemption. Well, all he did was live a perfect, sinless life. So yes, he passes the test. He is able to be our redeemer. But not only that, he's also gotta be willing to be our redeemer. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father God, not my will, but your will be done. He is willing to redeem. He is willing to heal. He is willing to deliver. He is willing to set free. Oh, hallelujah. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, who formed you, O Jacob. O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I'm just trying to tell you this morning that you have not just a redeemer, you have the redeemer. The redeemer. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.